Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Barnard. And I'm Victor Gamow. In this series, we chat with software developers and technology leaders to tackle your biggest API connectivity challenges. Stay tuned to this episode for tools, tactics, strategies that will help you to take your distributed architectures to the next level. Let's begin. Today, I am extremely excited to welcome Jason E, Director of Developer Advocacy at Gremlin. Hey, Jason. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, Victor. It's a really exciting topic, and I'm looking forward to our conversation about the chaos engineering. But before we start and jump right in, Jason, can you tell about a little bit about yourself? Uh, what do you do at the Gremlin uh, specifically, and like how you end up in this uh, field of uh, chaos engineering? So I'm... I work at Gremlin as the director of advocacy, which means I lead our developer relations team, also including events. And as with any small startup, if you haven't worked in a startup, it's all about wearing multiple hats. So I do a bit of customer success as well. So I help out our customers and manage a few accounts uh, and lend a hand wherever I can. So lots of different things at Gremlin, but chaos engineering is really why I joined Gremlin. And it's something that I'm super excited and passionate about. My experience with uh, chaos engineering started a long time ago, actually. I think most people who have heard of chaos engineering are familiar with things like Netflix's Chaos Monkey, which is coming up on, it's I think over 10 years old now. Uh, it's pretty old. Well, and time so, flies, yes. Yeah, time definitely flies. And it, at the same time, it feels like it's still a new thing, right? So, we have this weird, maybe a uh, temporal vortex within tech where old things seem new, uh, despite being old, or maybe it's just that they get reinvented. And I think that that's true for chaos engineering. It's been reinvented. So I heard about it back when I worked at O'Reilly Media and I was helping run the Velocity Conference. After that, I went to Datadog and at Datadog, we actually did chaos engineering. So I was able to really get my feet wet or get my hands dirty, as you will, uh, and help with that practice. Uh, and then that's how I met the folks at Gremlin. And so I joined the team there. Uh, the history of it, though, is basically, uh, as we talk about reinventing, some of those early folks from Netflix and Amazon who pioneered chaos engineering realized that not everybody is Netflix or Amazon. And so they decided to make a platform that would make it easy for everybody else to do chaos engineering. And so that's basically what Gremlin is. That's exciting. And uh, how, how I came about to this topic is like many, I would say like 85% of the people in the world, they may be reading the Netflix engineering blog and uh, um, during the time of the mig great migration to cloud that uh, Netflix is famous about, uh, we learn a lot of cool tools uh, that they do, starting from the tools for their build process, progress that will end up being open source as a kind of like a nebula set of plugins for, for, for Gradle and some of the cloud management tools um, that end up being the kind of foundation for Spring Cloud uh, world and uh, the obviously the Chaos Monkey. And um, when I was preparing to this episode, I was finding the um, very interesting here YouTube channel and uh, the host of this YouTube channel have uh, some resemblance with you. Uh, it's called Reliability <laughs> Engineering. And uh, the, the host was talking about the Chaos Monkey. So what what is the Chaos Monkey? Like why it is important? Like what, 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 what's, what's all about? You know, during my times, 
we don't need to have a chaos monkey. We might have a night janitor that will be just randomly disconnect the servers because he came into um, to office and starts like uh, mopping the floors. And there was a, you know, the cables connected to electricity. And after that, all of a sudden he disconnected this. This is how we're doing the, the chaos engineering <laughs> back in the day. What changed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I completely resonate with that, uh, the pulling the cables. Actually, one of my first experiences out of college, and this was, you know, several decades ago, uh, I was testing out whether our UPS system would work, right? We we had a bunch of servers. It was obviously on-prem because the cloud didn't exist. And so it was like, we have this great battery backup system. Let's ensure that our servers stay up and pull the cable out of the wall, except for I pulled the wrong cable. I pulled the cable from the server into the UPS. So obviously that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So the, another, another example of this is that, you know, you randomly uh, knock off the, 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 um, your box of your like servers and all the sound your servers died. Um, another thing you can just like uh, randomly, you know, start taking out the disks out of the uh, disk array. And after that, you see how your data will be corrupted. But we did this unintentionally. Like sometimes it was just like stupidity, sometimes it's an, an experience thing. My understanding of this approach is that instead of, um, and I'm totally stealing your quote from one of your episodes on your YouTube channel, instead of like a fighting and build 100% resilient system, we need to embrace this chaos. We need to embrace these failures and understand that these things will happen. And rather than building 100% reliable systems, we need to build the systems that um, that will be resilient to failures. And uh, in th- but like the Murphy's Law says, bad things happen. You know, if something will happen, it will happen. Um, so. You be you need to be rather prepared for the way how the system will works in uh, you know uh, breaking state rather than you know uh, fighting for one hundred percent up time something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, if we think back to that original Chaos Monkey, that was absolutely it. Was how do we embrace failure? How do we how do we just choose that failure is normal? And so that original Netflix team, their idea was, well, let's just introduce failure. And so it's always there. And then our teams will work around that. They'll build systems that will respond gracefully to servers going down and they'll just restart. And so as a way to constantly test. As the practices evolved, a lot of it now is with cloud native systems, they're so complex. You have microservices and you have all these dependencies and there's an understanding that when failure happens, it sometimes or many times is not what you would expect. And so one of the ways to get better at your systems is not just embracing failure, but it's understanding that you don't know everything about how your systems will behave. And so investing time in that, investing time in really trying to dive deep and understand how they work in the real world and not so much how they look on an architecture diagram and how they're supposed to work, but really introducing that failure and seeing what really happens in the real world. And uh, what kind of component the system is depend on and uh, which component you need to have additional, maybe, you know, the backup or like additional set of uh, replicas or or things like that. And apparently uh, this topic is still very relevant in the cloud world. Would you agree about this? 
Even oh, though yeah, absolutely. the vendors kind of kind of like providing us some assurance that yeah, yeah, we're gonna be running your infrastructure. And yeah, 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 we have a you know the we have multiple zones, we have a multiple regions, and like we can provide you with some uh reliability. But the things that happened, I don't know how many, like five years ago when they some some of the tractor literally just hit the Amazon data center or not even data center itself, but like hit this um, uh, the electric station that was near this data center. This is the example of the things that unpredictable. And this is where the, um, the, the people's factor, like human factors comes into play. Yeah, you can build the data centers 100% protected and things like that. But, you know, all of a sudden, sometimes the, the road uh, accidents will happen and someone will crash into your data center. And be prepared for um, this type of scenarios. This is what I think the essence of the chaos engineering, right? Yeah, the essence is that you can't control everything. Even if you're the world's best engineer, you can't account for everything because, you know, again, in our cloud world, in our distributed world, you're constantly interacting with other services, especially outside of your domain, right? You use services like Kong or you use services like you know, Gremlin or whatever. And these are outside of your control. And so you have to have a better understanding of when things fail, whether that's yours or these other, these other systems, what does that actually look like? How does that affect you? And we've gotten to a world with everything so connected that your customers don't care. If Amazon goes down and it's not actually Amazon, it happens to be some major internet provider that runs the backbone between, say, the US and Europe, nobody cares. Everybody just thinks, hey, Amazon's down, and you take the blame for that. And so with your own systems, it becomes that reliability domain is beyond just your own systems, and you have to start accounting for all of those uncontrollable factors. And so again, a big part of that is understanding how your systems work. I don't think anybody would expect your systems to operate if the entire internet went down, but at least, you know, if if one of your dependencies or your services goes down, you should have an understanding of what will happen, what does that look like so that you can respond appropriately. Netflix also was known as um as an organization apart from like advocating for this type of things, they also advocating for uh, certain patterns uh, for um, building resilient applications, the things like circuit breakers, how you can, um, especially because we're talking about microservices world, like in in uh, in uh, in the modern world, we're not deploying the one monolithic application because like if one thing will go down, everything will go down. But with the microservices world, some of the components will can continue to, to run in the case of a partial failure of some other components. Like if you have a ordering system and you need to have information about address and address uh, is provided by another type of API, like how you would you know, exist if this like service will go down. So you need to have either kind of some local state, cache state that you can use this and after that invalidate as a recovery procedure and things like that. So that's, um, that's something that is um, that I also know as a the thing that we learn from the Netflix experience, like can you give uh, some similar examples to like some of the patterns that um, we start seeing more and more in uh, application architectures and application design? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned circuit breakers, but that also usually goes along with retries, right? A lot of times we have circuit breakers 
not because of external calls, but because it's some sort of cascading failure of retries. And how do you tune those? Do you have, you know, what's your back offs look like? Or when something fails, or is your system just going to start keeping to retry and queuing more and more requests and building that? And so you, soon you have that, you know, thundering herd problem. So things like that are, are commonly tested with chaos engineering. Um, a lot of things like retries are, are easy to test by simply introducing some latency into your system and beginning to dial that latency up and seeing at what point you start to hit your retries um, and what that does if it does build up into a queue or if it handles that gracefully and realizes that maybe that system, although it's latent and it might be responding slowly, maybe we just consider that as actually being broken and down and we kill that and we start up a new service and hope that that doesn't have you know, latent performance. In your opinion, uh, when the people start looking to this approach for chaos engineering, should they look into this one as a kind of uh, things that will be running side by side with their production thing, or they need to start uh, gradually and introduce it in the in the stage of integration testing? For example, they you know to build the feature, they would you know deploy some integration space, and after that, um, will have a chaos testing as a part is another stage as a you know before like acceptance test and uh, before the things will be rolling into production. So to summarize it, in your opinion, is it like a chaos engineering part of the production thing or it's a part of like a pre-production integration uh, phase? Uh, I think it's both. So oftentimes people are, are very afraid to just go straight into production. And I think, again, that's a sort of a misnomer or maybe an evolution from those original Netflix chaos monkey practices. They just went straight into production and started killing things. That is scary. I mean, if if you're thinking of that and you're you're not scared by that, then maybe something's wrong. So I highly recommend that people start in staging environments that they work just like they would with code, right? You build things in development, you push them to staging and QA before you roll them out into production. And I take the same approach with chaos engineering that by the time you're pushing into production, it should just be like any of the other code that you're working on. You should have full confidence that it's going to do what you think it's going to do. That said, when it comes to the automation, we often find that people start manually and they'll start to test just with manual chaos experiments in those pre-prod environments and then manually do them in prod. And then from there, they'll usually roll that into their, their automation, their, their CI-CD pipeline for the, that testing. And so generally, it's a manual process into production and then automation to prevent regression. It's typically how I've seen it, although lots of companies work differently. So I have worked with a few customers that are just straight into CI-CD. They know they want this. They know exactly what they're going to do. And everything has to be automated. And um, this is very important. Um thing to point out i think is that the chaos engineering or like a like a failure injection is not necessarily needs to be you know like killing things or like a breaking services the jason mentioned think about like introducing latency and see how your application will behave if there's a it's it's a normal situation when the you know database become slow because either there may be uh saturation of network because of the someone else all of a sudden start using the same channel to your database. Or maybe it becomes slower because of the indexes in this database um, are not optimized and things like that. By when we develop certain feature, you um, thinking under 
the condition that everything will be, you know, nice and green and there will be sunny and unicorns and things like that. However, just simply looking how your system will behave by increasing the latency between components is already would be like a big eye opener in terms of like how the certain things are configured in uh, in your system or like maybe some of the um, requests that you think needs to be synchronous. And uh, when you're testing this on unit test or even maybe some integration test, you see the response time would be very quick. And I think, yeah, that's a synchronous request. But uh, by in, in introducing some of the latencies in this game, you will change the way how your system you know, might operate in general. So I think that's that's the thing that people always also forgetting. If they think about the chaos engineering, it's kind of like, okay, so let's break things, right? The breaking things is definitely fun, uh, at least yes. not in production, but when you're doing that exploratory phase, that is fun. And so, you know, it's, I like to caution people that that's not what it's about. But at the same time, again, if, if what you're trying to do is understand your systems, it is fun and you should take time to break your systems to learn how they break and what that looks like, particularly for folks that are maybe not on the dev side, but more on the operations side where you're on call and things will break and you'll get a, a pager duty alert and need to wake up in the middle of the night and fix it. Having a better understanding about how things break and what that looks like makes you a better engineer. So as much as you shouldn't just go breaking things, uh, you should break things at least occasionally just to get more experience and better understanding. There is a, um, a one, the gentleman, um, Kyle Kingsbury, he uh, known as uh, the guy who breaks database for databases for, you know, the money and profit and fun. So essentially his idea to kind of like validate some of the consistency claim of the data systems, the databases and things like that. And uh, his, um, his blog is very popular. His tools are very popular. And it's actually, you know, very interesting read and uh, very interesting uh, outcomes from the things that some of the software vendor can promise you, can learn more about the system. And uh, the way how he works, he also like provides suggestions for for authors of the system so they can improve this. Um, but like his goal, not like break the system per se, his goal is to confirm or debunk some of the claims about uh, the consistency, which is a huge part in distributed systems world, even uh, the, the consistency of the data, and especially with the replications and all this kind of stuff. And I think um, the understanding, like Jason mentioned, of the how the system works is, is important. So let's talk about the Gremlin. So my understanding that name came from the famous movie from 1984, uh, Joe Dante's uh, movie <laughs> and uh, Chris Columbus wrote this uh, the screenplay which was inspired by the tales of his grandparent. He was serving in uh, US, uh, US Air Forces and uh, sometimes when these uh, planes are breaking people tell them gremlins are doing things, you know, the small creatures that go in there and they're causing some mayhem. Is it, uh, what what you do there? Like what's, what's a gremlin does? Like what is the... Um, uh, what's the thing uh, that you folks doing in Gremlin? Yeah, so the the lore actually, yeah, it, it traces back, I believe, uh, Roald Dahl, who's a, a famous author, wrote the first book about Gremlins, and we have a, a classic book back in the Gremlin office. We have one office in San Jose, but that is it. It's that Gremlins were essentially 
these mythical creatures that would help uh, not only destroy technology, but actually would help build technology as well. Usually the destruction was when they were upset with humans. And so that's where the name came from. Uh, but the tool itself is kind of similar. We go in there and we help you inject failure in a safe way, safe, controllable way. So uh, generally the way that that works is you would install the Gremlin agent on your servers or uh, so we support both VMs. So you would install our agent as a binary on your machines. Linux and Windows are supported or you can do it on Kubernetes. So we have a daemon set which will install the agent. For those who know Kubernetes, daemon set, so you'll get one Gremlin agent per node. From there, uh, you'd use our backplane uh, or our control plane. You can use that either by using the web UI, which I feel like a lot of folks use, but if you're starting to do that automation, that CI/CD, we have an API. So you'd communicate with our control plane that would then send out messages securely to all of the agents to figure out what targets uh, are available and then what targets you want to attack and what attacks you want to run. And so from there, it'll communicate out and those agents will run those attacks. We do have 11 types of attacks. So we have resource attacks, and those are things like consuming CPU, disk space, disk IO, or memory. We have state attacks, so that's shutting down servers or containers, killing processes, or uh, changing the time on a machine. So changing the time is one of my favorite ones. It's often overlooked, but useful for testing things like SSL certificate expiration, or uh, as Victor mentioned, you know, if you have a data stream, oftentimes that information is time critical. And so what happens when you get things that are too far in the past or maybe errant data that looks like it's coming from the future? And then our third types of attacks are network attacks. So that's introducing latency or killing the network, corrupting or dropping packets, and blocking DNS. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like a really exciting uh, tool that uh, provides, you know, the very extensive number of things that uh, can go wrong. And uh, what about um, what the users see? Actually, you know, what's the uh, I apologize. A little bit of uh, noise <laughs> on my, my background. Are those your uh, your kids? Yeah, yeah. They all they, they are like gremlins. They also, yeah, they they like uh, gremlins. Also like to go uh, in the like uh, into you know, do the things in my in my basement essentially. So, um, all right. So Jason, um, in terms of like we we know that there are some certain tools uh, that are available to simulate certain uh, the problems, but like what at the end um, as a user you will see like how um, like do you visualize it like what's the outcome you know we we would like to have uh, some understanding okay we broke the thing, but what do you think we would learn from it you know and uh, how the gremlin helps to developers to build more you know reliable things. Yeah, so we often recommend that people follow the scientific process. Think of chaos experiments like science experiments. So you'll start with observing your system and asking yourself a question. And often that question is just, does this work the way I think it does? But usually it's a specific thing for, does this work in the reliability manager? Or in, you know, is it reliable in the way that I think it is? And then to form a hypothesis, right? What do I think will happen? And then from there, inject the failure, analyze it. Thank you so much, Jason. And thank you so much for being part of Concast. And with this, my name is Viktor Gamov. And as always, 
Have a nice day. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast using your favorite application so you don't miss a new episode. Don't forget to drop us a comment if you have any questions for today's guests or if there's a topic you'd like to see us cover in the future. For more content from today's guest, you can join us on YouTube to see demo segment from this episode of Concast. We'll see you next time.